Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello, and welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm excited about our guest for today's episode. It's Michael McKelvey, Certified Financial Planner of Vivid Wealth. He is in Portland, Oregon. This is the first time I have featured another financial professional, and I did this to provide a different perspective. I don't want you guys to think that I'm biased towards any particular solution or strategy for people, even though I know that there are some ways that you can really benefit yourselves, but I want a different perspective for you all so that we can all learn together. So just a little bit about Michael McKelvey from Vivid Wealth. He is uh, from Portland, Oregon. We met on LinkedIn and Instagram. He's got a fantastic, albeit funny as well, a video channel on Instagram called Vivid Wealth. You got to check it out. He played basketball in school. He's a, a, a true educator and a philanthropist. So with that, Michael, go ahead and take it away, my friend. Glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's always good just to, to connect with obviously other professionals and especially within the industry and I'll just kind of see what other people are doing. And, you know, you reached out probably a couple months back, several months now, I guess. I think just, you know, staying in touch with quality people is a good thing. And you're obviously doing big things over there on the East Coast. So happy to be here. And, you know, I don't feel like, Working with other financial advisors or, or planners or anything like that is a, uh, a threat to, you know, our businesses. I know a lot of people don't want to connect with other people in their same industry because they feel like <laughs> they might encroach, yeah. which, yeah. you know, obviously we're what, 2,600 miles away or more. So yeah, you know, we got some distance. Uh, yeah. Me being no, here in Charleston. I think there's a, there's an obvious shortage too of, uh, of, of quality advice. And, uh, you know, I think that the biggest challenge is, you know, how can we get, people to do the things that they should be doing right um so i mean I there's a need there definitely there's 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 a shortage of good people i think like you and i to help right so yeah. you know why don't you give us a brief rundown about you why you got started in financial planning what your area of specialty is and and what makes you unique yeah you know i i think uh like a lot of kids leaving school i didn't uh, particularly pick financial planning uh, immediately upon graduation. I, I graduated business and, and finance, but I had actually originally started in astrophysics astronomy uh, down in Arizona. So, I mean, I, I changed gears a couple of times in, in college. And so I was far from having any clue what I wanted to do upon graduation, probably like a lot of kids. I remember I just, I hopped on, I moved back from Denver. That's where I went to school. I moved back from Denver uh, after playing basketball overseas for just a little bit and decided to just search on monster.com finance jobs. And there were a few different financial planning jobs and I reached out. That didn't work. So I ended up dropping in on three or four different offices, interviewed, liked the idea of it. And I think in the end, liked the idea of uh, you know, really being able to build something. So went after that, started with a more proprietary firm uh, for my first few years, which was good. It's a place for me to cut my teeth. Uh, you know, long-term, it wasn't maybe what was best because they were fairly limited uh, from a planning aspect. There wasn't quite as much 
uh, training in, in, in certain areas that I was hoping for. And so decided to leave and eventually I uh, ended up leaving the, the second spot as well and started my own thing about a year ago now. So here we are with, with Vivid Wealth, um, almost a year. Uh, we're about a month away from starting. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's been the best year of my life. So I'm excited for it. You know, it's always challenging to start your own thing, especially in this world where compliance is the, uh, the big brother, you know, and, yeah. and we welcome that and we want, we want that oversight, but right. it can make things difficult sometimes. And uh, know, definitely. I, did my, I did my own thing as well with Husky Financial. I have a supportive that I'm working with and I'm, I know you got Cascadia that you're a part of as well. So Vivid Wealth has really taken off for you, it seems. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, in order to do really good work, I mean, you have to really enjoy it. It's got to be something you love. And I know I'm, I'm reciting, uh, I, think, I think it was Steve Jobs who said that, so I'm not going to quote that as my own, but you, it's really true. Like you think about it, uh, like you're not, you're not necessarily go going to starve like in this country, right? I think we have a propensity to, to overestimate risk. And eventually, uh, if you get to that point of saying, okay, hey, this is something I'm really serious about, and you go for it, and it's something that you really do care for and enjoy, and it's not just full-blown wishful thinking, uh, I, I think there's a, there's a really good chance for success because in those nights where you're tired and you, you just want to you know call it a day or those weekends maybe where you want to just enjoy yourself. You maybe have a little bit more energy to get after it. So uh, I think it's just critically important that you go after something that speaks to you. And uh, I've been fortunate to have the best year in, in a lot of different ways. I think that's the biggest reason why. Great, man. So follow your dreams is what you're saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I think so. You know, I think so. At least, uh, you know, you, to your best abilities, uh, you, you catch, I think, glimpses and you hear just very, you know, uh, short sound bites of things that, you know, interest you. And in, in a lot of my work with the schools, that's something I always tell the kids is like, you're going to have just short little windows into something that might intrigue you. I think the best thing you can do with higher education is cast your net wide and just find those little glimpses and go after them because, the degree to which you overshoot over time will diminish, right? You'll get closer and closer to uh, something that, you know, maybe uh, is, is, is really what, you know, draws you in and, and, and really is something that, you know, you would enjoy. Uh, it's easier said than done. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, you, you mentioned working with these schools, and I know we were talking about that offline, but I was really interested to hear what you're doing. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't kidding when I told everybody here that Michael is a full-on philanthropist. I want to hear more about your, uh, <laughs> your school and your education cost curriculum, all the things you yeah. are doing to educate. Fill, fill us in. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, about two years ago now, I kind of just had like a, a borderline existential crisis of like, hey, what am I doing? Like, am I, am I literally just going to be waking up every single day and going after a more attractive client? Am I just going to be looking to grow my book every single day? And I know that sounds like, uh, you know, I, I hate to be that guy that's like trying to sound like the do-gooder, like, you know, just like forecast and just giving it out of the universe. But it's like, but seriously, I was, I was, I was getting that, that sentiment that I was just trying to make more money every single day there's really a lot more to it than that. And I think hopefully as you age, you start to look back and say, okay, well, what else, you know, what else could I be doing that can maybe help somebody else that is in a tough place or is younger and, you know, hasn't found themselves. And I looked to what I was doing and I thought, well, I didn't learn anything like this in high school, nothing close to it. 
and I had an interest in it. Nothing ever crossed my mind as far as like, hey, I, I remember having somebody sit me down and talk to me about this is how a savings account works. I went to the bank with my parents. I was fortunate enough to have great parents. That's the greatest gift I think you can have instead of two great parents. I, I don't know I if there's a better gift than that. And I was fortunate to have that. They took me to the bank and I learned what a checking savings account was. And that got me started, right? But obviously, if you don't have a set of great parents, the likelihood of those types of events happening incredibly diminishes, right? It, it drops significantly. And so I thought, well, maybe I could just go speak to some schools and just talk about everything that I wish I had learned when I was a senior in high school, even beyond just like finance, right? So, uh, you know, what are some of the career-oriented pieces? I wish somebody had talked to me about the college uh, studying and major specific pieces. I wish somebody had talked to me about it. So uh, that kind of crafted into a what is wealth class. I went into uh, one of the high schools nearby, did, it, uh, did taught a class with them, then taught a class with a few other schools. One of the schools actually reached out and said, hey, uh, we have a parent night coming out. We'd love to have somebody come talk about college planning. And I said, sure, you know, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> and I showed up and I'll never forget this. Uh, you know, I had, I had never taught at a parent night. This would have been a year and a half ago now, maybe. And nobody knew who I was. So it didn't have anything to do with like my reputation. Well, first off, there really isn't much of one anyways, but like it didn't have anything to do with that. And I remember looking down the hallway, all the parents saw on the flyers, about 150 parents at this college night. And there's these breakout sessions, 10 different sessions. All they saw was how to pay for college. That was the name of the class. And I watched the parents come around the hall and sitting down at the back. And I watched of the first 30, 28 of them go into my class. Mind you, there's eight different options. Then go into eight different classes. 28 of them walk into my class. Wow. And I was like, holy smokes, like this is a <laughs> real concern. Like anytime, you know, I mean, yeah. like you just look at it and you're like, okay. So I, I was like, I better get in there. So I <laughs> run back, you know, I hop in there and I had like this class written out. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You know, you prepare to the best of your abilities, but to a certain extent, you can't prepare for growth. And in that moment, I was, you know, faced with uh, something that was, you know, fairly disturbing. And that was, you know, the parents, the the gap between where the kids were at and the parents was uh, not very significant. Uh, wasn't a lot of space there. And the first question I asked, I remember I was like, hey, so, you know, who here has done their expected family contribution? I just said it rather quickly because I assumed like all of them had, they were all senior and junior parents. One person raised their hand and it was a guidance counselor. One person. Wow. Of the 30 people that are sitting there. And I was like, okay, well, there goes like, about two thirds of my class, because I just assumed everybody had done that. And so I had to like take a big step back and just talk about, you know, foundational level, why you need to fill out the FAFSA, why you need to figure out what your expected family contribution is to see if you qualify for any aid. Even if you think you make too much money, because if your kid's going to some private school, you got two kids in school at the same time, you know, there's a good chance you're going to qualify for some aid. I realized in that moment, uh, you know, hey, there's, there's a pretty big opportunity here. And it's also something that I really enjoy uh, because there's, there's that component of getting to work with kids and, you know, I might not get any, you know, compensation off of that, but it's at least, you know, a way to be a part of the community and, and hopefully do more than just try to make more money every day. 
So that's that's, that's, that's kind of that's that's what it's turned into. So then financial features would launch. Then uh, it's, a, it's a Friday deal where we go around to just different high schools. So are you in an auditorium setting, like talking to a bunch of parents, and it's a one-time thing in that high school? Oregon's been pretty shut down, you know, uh, right. unfortunately. And so um, we've been online for a little over a year now. But <clears throat> you know, before that, it was you know classroom setting. I just go into a class for those kids. And then if it was parents, I'd be going into an auditorium or whatever it might be, right? Uh, but I'm I'm quite fearful, and and uh, it's part of the reason why I'm working on what I'm working on right now. Uh, the fear that I have in talking to a few guidance counselors. Well, you know, I think we're just going to go right back to the online college night, like we had, you know, pretty good turnout for it. Yeah. And we know, like, you can just feel it. Uh, sitting there in an online, you know, let's say an online lecture, you're just not getting the same value out of actually going. That's so my, you know, it's, a, it's my, the body language you can't actually foresee. You can't, you can't, you know, you people are pretty perceptive when it comes to when you can meet one on one. You know, totally. You can pick totally. up things. You can actually feel the, you know, admonition on people's faces. All those things. Right. You can't really pick that up when their cameras off. Right. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to be a replacement. You know, online meetings, online courses, and I'm building a course. It's not supposed to be a replacement. Right. It's supposed to be an add-on. It's supposed to be something for us to be able to learn anywhere. And that's wonderful. But it's not going to have the same impact as sitting down in an environment at the school where you got everything locked and loaded and you're just there for an hour and a half. And this is a subject that is just so critically important. We're talking about the second biggest financial decision outside of retirement, right? Uh, that you know, many families are going to make. Uh, you know, when you add up two, three kids, like it's a huge decision. And the reason why it's such a big decision is because the kids, you think about it from a compound interest standpoint, they have so much time, right? They're making this so young. This decision is so young for them that you, know, you could say house is a bigger decision. Well, that occurs on average about 15 years later. So you're talking about a $100,000 decision. You know, it's just when you play out the numbers over 60, 70 years, somebody taking out 20, $30,000 in loans that they shouldn't have because maybe just didn't think it through. That's what can happen. Um, so anyways, I could, I could talk about the student loans all day. I mean, I study that stuff all the time being that I've worked with a lot of medical professionals and um, I'd hope to have a whole episode, you know, I'd, I've had a couple episodes around student loans, but I'd love to just keep going on that because there's just, not enough information and people all have their own perception around what it looks like to get the right loans, when to pay them off. Do I eat yeah. ramen noodles for the first four years of my, you know, when I get out of school, if I can pay this right. off, is that what the white coat investor tells me to do? You know, I mean, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The white coat investor. Yeah. That's that, that, that website. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. It's gospel for some of those people. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, a lifestyle. Uh, but moving away from that, you know, wh what are some of the big financial conversations that you've been having with some of your clients? I mean, I know that NFTs, Bitcoin, all this stuff that's unregulated has been huge. But what are some of the big conversations that you're having right now with, with your clients? Maybe an interesting story you want to share. I would say, you know, lately, um, you know, there's definitely been questions around, are we poised for a setback? You know, that's, that's, that's the most common question at least yes. the most common hesitancy when you look at cash you know cash levels are all-time highs i think that reflects part of it uh people are hesitant to invest because there's a feeling that we've been doing so well and you, know, you look at the pe ratios you know price mm -hmm. is maybe 
far higher than earnings would suggest, but we know that the market's obviously a future indicator. So it's trying to price into effect, you know, what, uh, what earnings will be in the future as well as what they currently are. And so I would say a big conversation I've been having lately is just, are we poised for a setback? Right. And, uh, that's been their question to me. And then I've turned around and asked them, you know, well, Hey, you know, when you say that, what exactly do you mean? And usually, uh, I would say the feeling on their part is we've had this string of, you know, just unbelievable market gains, despite everything feeling terrible, just feeling so awful. And there's something inside of them that says that's just not right. And this is, this is the intuition, right? And, and we'll talk about this. I, I know that you had a question earlier. We'll talk about this later. But this is kind of the intuition. This is the problem sometimes with intuition is it can maybe creep over into getting you to make decisions that, that you wouldn't want to. Um, and so I, I usually just follow it up with asking, you know, hey, uh, well, where is it that, uh, you know, what is it that we're looking to do with this money? And you know, most of the time it's long-term monies that they're discussing. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the point from there is, well, hey, what's the alternative? Oh, that's right. Okay. So what's, what's the risk that's involved with that alternative? Because there's risk both ways here and, and you can't avoid it. So that's, that's kind of the route that we go. Okay. And some of them we de-risk if they're just like losing sleep at night. Some of them we don't. So your conversations with clients are very inquisitive. Like you're, you're turning it back <laughs> on them to like <laughs> lead you in the right direction. It seems like. Well, you know, it's, it's definitely not, uh, it's definitely not intended to, and I think there's a, there's a challenge sometimes as an advisor. It's like, how do you, how do you uh, share your own beliefs without pushing your own biases? And I think that's a, that's a big challenge sometimes because it's a relationship and you're not necessarily always meeting halfway. It, ultimately, it's just what they're willing to do. It's what the client is willing to do, right? But you mm -hmm. owe it to yourself and them to tell the truth, obviously and stand by it as far as what it is that you believe, because hopefully, hopefully you're sharing some wisdom that they don't have. But still, I think that can be a, a challenge at times uh, because you know we're all human, including advisors themselves, and they may be coming with a very real feeling and you, know, you could completely turn them off if you turn that conversation from a belief into a push or forceful bias. Now, nobody's gonna, Nobody's going to want to take action upon that if they're, you know, feeling feeling awful at the end of the conversation. So, you have to walk through it uh, the right way, and I think they have to come to that conclusion on their own. Interesting stuff. That's terrific, man. I I feel like I'm always prefacing conversations with people when they're asking me for my opinion with with a disclaimer. You know, like yeah. it, it's just the compliance side of me. It's like, okay, I'm not I'm not a tax advisor, or I I don't know, I'm not an economist. I just read I, and I listen and I focus. Right. Uh, but here is my opinion. Take it as you want. <laughs> right. So um, fantastic stuff. You know, I think what I've been learning a lot about recently has been restricted stock units for highly compensated yeah. individuals. That could be practice owners in the medical field. It can be those in a C-suite yeah. level of things. And uh, it's, it's a really good, effective way for upper management to get paid without totally. giving up equity in, in the company. Um, it, it's, it's a deferred compensation vehicle. And the taxes behind that, yeah, yeah, the, the taxes behind that, it's, it, it can be complicated unless you've done it a few times. So, you know, if, if you're promised 
$400,000 in salary, let's just say, right? And then you do pretty well at work and they say, well, you hit these milestones, we'll give you some, some uh, stock options. But they're not gonna vet for the next couple of years. So it's, it's the golden handcuffs, you know? You get the right. golden handcuffs for these highly paid executives and then uh, we'll give you, a, let's say $200,000 of grants. These grants in two years will, will, will be yours. They're gonna vest. When that, that money invests, not only have you just, in let's just call it a year 2022, those monies are gonna invest for you. Not only have you made your $400,000 of ordinary income, you also get $200,000 of compensation in these new restricted stock units. Right. You own those, then you pay additional tax on the $200,000. And then right. if you hold those long enough, you're gonna have some type of capital gain. And if you right. sell before 366 days, it's a short-term gain. Right. There's additional tax. So uh, I think it's important, especially for those high earners, the highly compensated highly compensated individuals to get some type of uh, help, whether it's from a financial planner or someone who's yeah. really well versed in that, in that world. I think it's important for that. So those highly compensated individuals really need some help. And, and so would you agree? And do you have any cases like that that you can work in? Well, I think... It, certainly. And I think, uh, you know, as you introduce more, the margin for error also increases. Right. Uh, in order to financially plan, you have to have finances, right? So uh, the more that you have running around through your own little economy, the higher likelihood it is that there is an error or that there's some fat that could be trimmed or that there's something that you aren't thinking of. And this is where you know, traditionally, uh, as people progress throughout life, they look for advisors the older that they get because their life becomes more complicated financially because they actually have assets. You know, when you're True. 24 and you're making 50, 60,000, 23, and uh, you're right out of school and you got rent and you got a 401k and you've got a monthly budget, it's like, you might not need a financial planner yet. You know, I, I could sit here and argue that the behavioral side of things could certainly use some work, but it might be difficult to find a, you know, a good relationship that's worth it because you have to be able to find that financial planner too. So anybody that's, you know, highly compensated, it's just a, a question of time. You know, it's like, if you're highly compensated, well, then the time that you'd have to invest to manage your own money probably doesn't make sense. Beyond just the fact that you're subjecting yourself to more risk, because we all know that the biggest risk is your own behavior, even though everybody claims to be the exception. The, <laughs> fact, that, the fact that you're highly compensated, like it's, it's the death by the arithmetic, right? Like if we want to get into the numbers, it's like how much time are you spending, you know, because day trading, actively trading has become a, you know, become a hobby for a lot of people. And it's a hobby for a lot of people that do well. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, well, what's your time worth? And at the same time, what are you willing to risk, you know, because you're the only one watching this thing, you know, is there, is there a chance that you could be wrong? Is there a chance that there's something that you could miss? And if they're in the medical profession field, I mean, the, the question I just ask is like, is there a chance that somebody that's doing their own self-diagnosis could not think of something? Yeah, I asked that actually. And some, my other question is, what do you value? Is it yeah. your money? Is it your time? Is, is totally. it how much you want to save? So. Yeah, the emotional blueprint. If we don't do as advisors a great emotional blueprint for our clients, we don't fully understand what it is they're looking for. And goal is such a, um, a hot buzzword in our profession that I, I I try not to use it as often. Yeah. Um, I, you know what what commitments do you have? Who are you responsible for? What are some of the things right. that you value? So those are the questions that we should be asking. What is the biggest challenge that you help, Michael? Uh, excuse me. What's the biggest challenge that you face in helping others, helping people? 
you know, that's a, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, intuition really feels just as good when it's right as it does when it's wrong. And that, that makes for an incredibly challenging predicament, right? Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, the age old just, hey, trust your gut at all times. It's just, it's kind of a load of shit. If you could just always trust your gut in every scenario, right? That would mean that you never made any mistakes following your intuition or desires. And we know that our desires can be incredibly misleading. You know, anytime you've gone back to a bad relationship, anytime you sold in, uh, let's say, March, anytime you bought something and you regretted it. So, you know, our, our desires can be incredibly uh, misleading. That doesn't mean that instincts are bad. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever trust your gut. You know, really the, the biggest challenge is differentiating between when you should move quickly, i.e. trust your gut, hey, don't think about it too much, and when you should really slow down and take some time to figure out what makes the most sense for you. That's, that's a, a terribly, you know, it's a terribly challenging thing, I think. Can you recognize the complexities that are involved in said problem that you're dealing with? And beyond just finance, because if you dive into anything, this is the reason why any business exists. There are complexities beyond just your initial glimpse. You know, you, you, just what we're doing right now, like everything that is required for us to be having this conversation right now, 2,600 miles away. If Zoom stopped working, I would sit here and I'd say, well, what's going on? I want to dive into the complexities of it. Right. If you didn't change the oil on your car, you'd want to dive into the complexities on it because if you conveniently ignore, let's say the things that you should actually be spending some time with, uh, eventually those complexities will shine through and what you've conveniently ignored will reveal itself. And so it's like, how do you, uh, how do you differentiate between those two things? But I think that's, that's the single most important thing that you can do as an advisor is getting people to do the things that they know they should be doing. And that means sometimes, quite often, getting them to steer away from their intuition, their desire, and getting them to take some time to figure out, does that their current behavior really align with what it is that they want? And so I think the, the uh, synopsis there is, can you get people to do the things they know they should be doing? That's the that hardest thing. Job. That's why that, we have, that's why we're behavioral scientists almost. Yeah, Psychology totally. comes in, it comes in handy, you know? And totally. And I think, uh, yeah, and I think it absolutely does. And the complexities on the professional side, for any professional that's working with people, it's understanding that people have complexities to them as well, right? So you mentioned the, uh, the questioning, right, earlier. Um, it's very rare that somebody reveals exactly what the problem is, exactly what it is they're dealing with. The first question, you and I both know that you have to keep going deeper into that. If you're ever going to get somebody to change anything or discover anything that they might be overlooking. And so I think, you know, the biggest challenge uh, that I have, the biggest challenge that any advisor has, any professional, I think, is recognizing those complexities and getting people to do the things they know they should be doing. It's the fundamentals of investing, my friend. Yeah. I would say behavior and the, yeah. the greatest risk you can take is none at all. You just got to figure out where those risks are, what your appetite is for that and how we can help progress you through that wild ride. Right. 
Totally. Yeah. And it's like, can you curb their behavior to align with their better interests? Their real, their real desire. So, you know, I just, I sit back and anytime I hear like, Oh, just trust your gut. It's like, no, like that is not something that's like just uniform. That's not something that's universal. And you just say it in every situation, like that, that at times is very useful. Like reading people, if it's, a, we, we talked about finding something that you actually want to do and you enjoy if there's something that's intriguing you with that subject matter and you're in school, there's probably a good reason for that. That's your intuition in its purest right form. It's correct there. But where it's incorrect, at least to go you know, check it out, where it's incorrect, often uh, when we combine it with our emotions in maybe more complex questions that we have to deal with, that's where our intuition can be wrong. Like, hey, pick your intuition <laughs> on a multiple multiple choice question. Well, you got a 25% chance of being right there. It's like, if you don't know the answer, you don't know the answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. you might be able to nail it down to two. And it's like, oh, trust your gut with it. It's like, well, my gut says I really only have two options. It's like, right. it's still a 50% chance, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyways. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent answer, man. I mean, I did not know we were going to get a symposium on intuition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. You know, you think about, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever read any of Daniel Kahneman's work. He's my favorite behavioral scientist. Um, he won a Nobel Peace Prize several years back for some of his work around prospect theory and some other things. But, you know, he talks about just our, really our systems, right? He calls them system one and system two and our, our propensity to make decisions. And he walks through all of these sites, you know, it goes through all of these different examples, all of these citations, all of these different studies that have been done on all these different ways that we make decisions. And it's, I, I find that part far more interesting. I, I've always been more drawn to like, why do people do the things that they do versus more of the mechanics of, you know, how does money work? Even though that's important, like I have to go through, I do that. I'm just speaking personally, what's drawn me more and more to this career and, and hopefully to helping people is getting to understand a little bit better why people do the things they do. Your clients are lucky to have you. I'll tell you that much. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. How, how can people better make changes to align with their future? You know, I, I think, uh, I think it comes to, because, it, you know, change is a difficult thing. We talked about uh, decision-making and when that decision is to something new and you're changing away from something, that makes it hard, right? Change is difficult. And uh, part of that is routine is cognitive ease, right? So like uh, doing something over and over again, it requires less energy. Uh, there's a cognitive ease there that uh, makes it more enjoyable for us. And again, I'm citing uh, some behavioral finance work. This isn't my own work, right? Um, uh, I forget the study that, that was done on that. But, but anyways, um, so somebody can look it up. But the, uh, the challenge is, you know, how do you, how do you uh, make that change? And I think the best way that you can start is just pick something small. It has to be small, okay? I understand that bigger visions are important. Uh, you want to have, you mentioned the word goal, bigger commitments, right? Have, right, have right. that. It's a good thing. It's, it's a very good thing. But if you're really struggling with change, if you're somebody that's just like, man, it's been like five, six years, and I've thought about this, and I just haven't done anything. It's like, okay, well, what's one thing that you can do tomorrow? What's one thing you can do today? Just one thing. I was talking to a friend of mine that, you know, he was, uh, he's upset because, you know, he's, he's in his thirties and he's like, dude, I just, 
I just realized like how much time I'm wasting playing video games. And uh, that sounds like laughable and it kind of is, you know, but, but at the same time, we all have things that we blow our time on. Some people it's video games, some people it's watching TV, some people it's drinking, right? Whatever it is. Hopefully you're not, you know, more than three or four deep yet, but uh, you know, it, it, it's just a, uh, we all have, you know, things that we waste our time on, but he said, you know, I, I'm just, I'm wasting a bunch of time, you know, playing video games. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, I feel like I'm just not doing anything. And I said, well, okay, how long has this been going on? He's like, well, I've been playing video games for like 15, 20 years. And I'm like, okay, what, what is it that makes you want to do that? And he's like, well, honestly, I don't play by myself anymore. I think it's just the social aspect. And I said, okay, where else could you find a social aspect? He's like, well, I have to like go out and do, you know, find them. I'm like, don't focus on that yet. Don't, don't worry about that yet. You can start thinking if you want to knock it out of the park, you can, but here's just one thing that you can do. What do you think one thing is that you can do today or tomorrow? This is after he just got done playing for two hours. He probably lost a bunch of time. So he's pissed off. <laughs> I won't reveal this person's name, but um, I was like, what's one thing you can do tomorrow? And he's like, I don't know. I was like, well, what's one thing, just one thing. Like, I could go like, you know, maybe to the golf course. To... And I said, even simpler than that. And he's like, I could just not play tomorrow. And I said, yeah, why don't you just take a day off? Just go do something else. You, you can go to the golf course, talk to people, hit some balls, knock yourself out there, go play basketball again, whatever it is. But why don't you just start, just say, hey, tomorrow I am not going to do it. So just make something very small like that. Because in my experience, whether it's finance or anything. Momentum is a, it's a very fascinating thing. They always talk about, Hey, you just got to get to the gym. Right. Um, and I hate to just use references that are just blown over. But the reason why that's such a, a big deal is that momentum, it's the momentous aspect of it, right. Getting there. And then all of a sudden you just kind of keep going, right. We talked about that cognitive ease. There's kind of this just flow to you you just walked in it's like well i just walked in i might as well walk to that little you know workout machine and start getting after it and so i think you have to just pick something small enough that you know that you can do and then just start with that and you're better than you were yesterday that's all that matters compare yourself to who you were yesterday right just start with that terrific point and that can that that lesson can be learned and really anything you want to change to create new habits you can uh, just start small. Don't, don't yeah. think big picture yet because you're going to just stress yourself out and you're not going to make any moves. Right. So if you just start small. That's that's some really good. Pick uh, one thing. One yeah. thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, I don't want to be, you know, Nostradamus over here or the parental figure that's telling you all the things your, you know, mom, dad, whoever says to do. But it's like, just start with one thing because we all get there and we get blinders on and we're like, ah, oh, I just, you know, I can't like, I just, you know, I, you know, and we get tired and you're just, you feel like you just can't break that habit. Yeah. But I think one of the best things you can do is, you know, sit down and just say, okay, what's one thing I can do tomorrow. And then just try that. Just try that and see how it I'm goes. Gonna I'm going to do yeah. that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, my last big question for you, man, this has been a great conversation. I always appreciate yeah. meeting with you, but uh... yeah, for sure. I want to know what your lasting legacy should be. What kind of impact do you want to make in your community doing what you do? You know, I, I think uh, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a question um, that I think about myself because, you know, I was, I was on a walk the other day and I was like, you know, kind of coming back to um, what originally drove me to want to work with the schools. And I was thinking about how much I had been working lately. And I don't wear that as a badge of honor because, 
there's balance to life. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, I haven't, I've taken like one trip in the last year. Like I've, and it was like a weekend and that's it. And every Saturday, Sunday, I find myself writing and working and I'm like, am I going to look back and just say, I worked really hard? <laughs> Hopefully not. I think, you know, obviously you can't get, you know, too, you can't have too much of a, a future trip. Impact in the community, I, I don't think is, is wasted time, at least from my stance. And so it's like, if I can continue to work in the community, obviously helping the schools, helping the kids and the parents, uh, and eventually grow to a point where I'm helping more people that aren't paying me than those that are, mm-hmm. I'm doing something right. That means that, you know, what it is that I'm creating is, you know, spewing and bleeding over into areas that, you know, now it's not, well, hey, I just, you know, I built this, you know, really successful business and I made a bunch of money. It's like, you know, well, what do you, what is it that you're leaving behind? What is it that you're actually changing? And hopefully in that stance, it's something unique and new, but it's most importantly something where I'm helping more people than are compensating me. So it's like, what are the ripple effects of what you're doing? And will I even know how far those ripples have gone? That's totally, that's, that's the, that's the impact right there, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like I have kids all the time now, and this is the really cool part of it that'll reach out about internships and they'll reach out Mm -hmm. about job interviews and they'll reach out about, they want to go into finance. And it's like, I'm not, I would consider myself, uh, an expert in layman's terms, but there are far more analytically, you know, gifted individuals in finance than me. Uh, there are, you know, obviously uh, people with CFAs that can sit down and just do unbelievable, uh, unbelievable calculations, arithmetics, and understand the complexities of finance really better in that stance than I do. But uh, if there's something that I'm looking to do, it's it's to understand the complexities of people and get people even that I'm not getting paid from uh, to, to more align their, their current actions with their real desires. It's been a pleasure having you on. I really appreciate all the insight yeah. you've given us. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's been fun. I thought I was good on the psychology side, but I think you might have me beat. <laughs> Dude, uh, there's some, there's some good books. I'll send you after this. I mean, uh, if anybody's yeah. curious, Daniel, best place to start probably is Traversky or Daniel Kahneman, as far as just kind of like general behavioral economics, but those two guys, I think, laid kind of the foundation for it, um, and anybody can read it. I will have those links in the bio for anybody who wants to look at yeah. those after the show. Yeah. Um, last thing here, wh- where can uh, where can our listeners find you? What are your handles? Yeah. So at vivid underscore wealth on Instagram, and then YouTube is just Mike the CFP. Mike so the CFP. Mike the CFP. Pretty simple. So. Mike, the CFP works. And then uh, vivid underscore wealth on uh, Instagram. Those are the two easiest places. And then obviously just website. Thanks again, my friend. It's actually getting kind of loud outside my door. I'm at the Harper Club oh, in downtown Charleston having a party. So I'm going to I'm hey, going to go. Yeah, you got to get after it then. It's time. Do some networking. Well, my friend, thank you so much for your time. I'll talk with you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Take care, man. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit.
This podcast is for information purposes only. Michael Stephen Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 6115 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210. 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Michael McKelvey and Vivid Wealth are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial, and opinions stated are their own.